Beyond the Ranch with Jay Gannon from Find the Ranch. Welcome to Beyond the Wrench. My name is Jay Gannon. Today it is my pleasure to welcome David Rogers to the show. David is one of the more innovative people in the aftermarket business today. His life experiences have allowed him to develop multiple businesses to help make life easier for shops. Those businesses include Shop4D, AutomatedMarketingGroup.com, and Auto Profit Masters. And what I love about David is that he takes all of the innovation and all of the ability to, to develop and is able to apply it to his own shop in real time. David and Shop4D were also a supporter of the Support Repair Shops uh, initiative that we had done earlier this year to, to help get shops through uh, the difficult COVID time that we're, we're still seeming to go through. Uh, but in talking with David, there's never a boring conversation, and I think you're about to learn why. He's got a fascinating background and really cares about the industry and the people in it. So David, I, I'm really excited to have you on. How are you today, my friend? Hey, thank you, Jay. I'm, I'm excited to be here. I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to talk about a, a subject that is near and dear to all of our hearts. Yeah, and, and I think it's, uh, it's, it's always fun to talk to you like I talked about, and, and I think it, a lot of it stems from your background. So why don't we dive right into that? How, how did you get into the service business and, and to starting these businesses and, and kind of creating all of these experiences that have led up to this? Well, for goodness sakes, that was a long time ago. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I kind of ended up in our industry by accident, having no idea how much I would end up loving it and, it, and really not thinking it would become my whole life, but, but it certainly has and I wouldn't trade it for anything. I uh, took a, uh, we, we took a young child in um, many years ago who needed a, a stable environment, stable home, and, and uh, I was forced to find a day job. I'd been running nightclubs and fine, fine hotels, fine dining operations. And that sort of evening weekend lifestyle wasn't going to do it. And I took a job as a service advisor back in around 1995. And uh, at that point, uh, realized there were some really serious issues with automotive repair. Um, you know, number one, the perception of, of people in the industry was really bad. I, I had never announced what I did or for a living and had people look at me like I was a criminal, you know, it was the <laughs> first time in my life I ever experienced that. And, and, you know, when I got in there and realized that, boy, people would yell at you and be really, really unkind and super skeptical and suspicious. And I'm like, man, this is, I'm not sure this is for me. You know, yeah. I'm not accustomed to being spoken to this way. And I'm not comfortable with this perception people have of me. And that turned from shock into determination to change that. And uh, both for my own sanity and, and my own job. And it really becoming something that I felt passionate about in the industry. Because as I grew my career and ended up training and coaching people from coast to coast, I realized that in the high 90 percentiles, the people I met in the industry were salt of the earth. They were honest, good, considerate people that wanted to do the right thing for the right reasons and were truly massively misunderstood and, and unfairly judged. And, and it really is true. To this day, I'll say that, you know, 97, 98% of the people I've met are superb human beings. And frankly, you know, that's the opposite of how the GP, you know, the general public looks at us. So it's, yeah. uh, you know, I think that's improving though. I'll, I'll say that, that, that those ads are improving a little bit. Well, I think one of the, the cool parts about how you came into the industry was having experience in other industries. Right. And, and I, I say this uh, quite a bit about my background is I was kind of just born and raised in this industry. And there was a lot of things that were just the way they were. Right. And, and that was one of those things was that general perception. You just kind of accepted it. And, and we're going to dive into that a little bit more, but just the, the general perception from even the school level and from, uh, from the general public. I mean, there's just so much that was wrong with, with our message and, and what we were doing. So I think, we can jump right into 
what our topic of conversation today is going to be, uh, which is the technician shortage. And you've done so many good things and, and really not only talked about doing great things, but really put it into application. And you've, you've executed on it better than what most have. And I, I, that's where I really wanted to get you onto the podcast and to, to, to really dive into that. So uh, let's talk technician shortage. What, what did you see and, and when, did, when did it become apparent that there was a, a real issue with trying to draw technicians into our industry? Well, you know, having been doing so much consulting and training and working with so many business owners from all over the United States, really all over North America, what I've found is you know, in the mid 90s, and maybe even up into the late 90s, if you put an ad out for a technician, we'd be inundated with applications and resumes. I mean, mm -hmm. I could choose from dozens of, of, of uh, options, as far as choosing someone to interview, you know, somewhere in the 2000s, early 2000s, we started noticing that changing, you, you went from getting dozens to getting two or three. Now you can put an ad out and it can take months before you find yeah. one reasonable response, which is, you know, pretty devastating for a, a shop, especially if they lose their best diagnostician or their top producer, you know, someone in an A-roll that can really, really harm the business and its ability to, to maintain its relationship with the customers. Well, and, and with the shop, you're essentially, that's what you're selling, right? You're selling that time. And if that time's not there to sell, that really, really restricts your business, right? That, that, yeah. I mean, that, that can have a huge impact on it. Absolutely. So, so one thing in, in prior discussion with you that we had talked about, and, and this is what I'm a big believer in as well, is not only do we have a problem bringing technicians into the industry, right? And I think a lot of our industry focuses on the core of, of getting technicians into schools or filling the slots in, in automotive or diesel technology uh, programs at a tech, uh, tech school. When I look at it, I think we've got a far bigger problem in that we're having a tough time keeping veteran techs in the industry, right? And they're, they're electing to leave for other, other uh, industries or other trades. Uh, are you seeing something reflective of that? And, and I know for you specifically, this probably doesn't apply. And, and I think people will learn why, but are, are you seeing maybe a little bit of that same thing? You know, not in my own shop so much, but certainly in shops of, of uh, you know, other individuals I've met across the country and, and worked with, you know, it's happening. I, I'm hesitant to to brush off the idea that the biggest pro or that you know that or to promote the idea that the biggest problem is just the people leaving i think it's an equal problem i think yes we have a perceptual you know issue with what a technician is what kind of job they do you know what the environment's like and, and i think a lot of that is starts very early on in in public school i think that uh hollywood exacerbates and aggravates the problem to no end. They always present us as criminals, chop shops, drug runners. I mean, they never present a shop or a technician as a upstanding citizen that most of them are right. or the problem solvers for the community that they are. But, but, you know, on the side of the techs leaving, there's certainly a big issue here. And, and I've, I've been involved in and even initiated a couple of, of online discussions regarding this, um, problem. And it seems that, that people are really focused on the whole, well, we've, you're just going to have to raise up all your labor rates and just pay them a lot yeah. more money. But I'm here to tell you that the problem is bigger than that. Um, I don't think that just simply, you know, I, I have a, a saying in, when I teach people, and that is, is that, you know, whenever someone doesn't know what to do, they'll throw money at a problem. Mm. And it typically doesn't solve the problem. So I know this is going to raise the hackles on the backs of plenty of technicians next when they hear me make that <laughs> statement. And I'm not suggesting they shouldn't make more money. Absolutely, they should. But I believe that the challenge comes down to, you know, several other factors in the environment. Now, I work primarily with independently owned repair facilities. Um, my, I have some experience with dealerships, but I think there's a huge difference 
in in the two um, and many many differences you know but as an industry on either side we, we really haven't given technicians the respect and the protection that a professional deserves yeah you know we haven't given them what they deserve they deserve the respect they no different than a surgeon or a physician they deserve a pay plan that lets them make great money they deserve an employer that protects them and helps lift them up you know in my businesses I don't hire a person unless I'm invested in improving and, and helping lift up their entire life. It's not just, oh, what can you do for me today, you know, and, I, and I'll be pleased with you and pay you for that. And then tomorrow we're going to start out at scratch and you don't mean anything to me again. And I, and I think that's a lot of how many of the professionals are, are treated in many cases. I think they need obviously a, a safe work environment and good tooling and and they need good benefits, and they need tools and software to be efficient and productive. But the, there's a bigger problem. Yeah. And that is, is that I think in most businesses, there's a tendency, and again, this goes back to kind of that idea of when people don't know what to do, what do they resort to? But there's a tendency to take from one side in a transaction to give to another. And that's a losing proposition. It's unsustainable. So often the one giving in is a technician. They're asked to do, you know, some free diagnosis in the return for some promise of an IOU, whether it be I'm going to get you a gravy car or I'm going to, you know, I'll take care of you on the next one, you know. And, and these IOUs never get paid. Yeah. And, you know, they're if you already feel like you can't make what you're worth and now you got to give your time away for free and return for something that's never going to come, no wonder they're leaving faster than they're being replaced. Okay. When, when we look at the basis of, of, or the base of that problem, we have to realize that there's a training issue there. You know, so many people think, well, my, my service rider knows what he's doing. He's been trained forever. My service advisor understands. We've gone to these classes and this and that. But in my personal opinion, it's never, the, the, the process is never over. If, you, if you're afraid to sell the diagnostic time for what it is, diagnostic time is the key to the whole repair universe, if you ask me. I mean. I agree. Yeah. If I have a technician who has the capability of diagnosing pretty much any vehicle, any system that comes in the door, should his time not be highly valued and should he not be highly compensated for that? I, I shouldn't take in five different issues on a vehicle and then give him an hour, which is the case so much of the time. Oh, well, here's an hour. Go figure those out. Um, you know, it's a stepwise process and it needs to be sold properly. And I think if people fear doing that, oh, I'm afraid the customer won't value it. They'll walk away. They'll think we're too expensive. And so it kind of becomes a, a vortex, you know, and everybody's trying to worry about how they're going to keep the customer interested instead of just stepping up and selling the diag for what it is. I remember, you know, unfortunately, I'm going to age myself here a little bit, <laughs> but I remember before anybody sold diag. I remember when the words were, well, we'll check that out for you. And, you know, I could remember literally, you know, one of my bosses who was an old school mechanic he, at the time, he would go out and he could put his hand on the side of the car and by the vibration, give you a pretty close guess as to what the issue was. Well, that carburetor is going to need to be, you know, yeah, pretty, pretty amazing. And but things are different now, are they not? And, and they and that kind of guessing really leads to more problems than it does solutions. So, First of all, we look at the diag. We look at all the problems and all the issues of the technician. I like to think of technician as really the, the, the huge problem solver and the path to a solution. If we don't make sure that the best are compensated, it would only end up with a loss. You know, I, I look at build hours. I had a customer one time, a retail customer in my repair shop, tell me, well, I don't think it's fair that you bill by this book time, your technician was done with my car before the number of hours you billed me for. This was back when we used to print that on the, the repair order. Yeah. And I had to explain to him, I said, you know, was well, the technician increases in his capability and he invests tens of thousands of dollars in the tools to be able to beat that book and shortcut that repair. You know, he can get in there and remove that 
component more quickly with this special tool he spent a few hundred dollars on last month. You know, does he not deserve to be compensated more, you know, than a technician who, say, just walked out of the door of school yesterday and has to do everything the long, slow way? He said, well, no, he doesn't. That's not fair to me. I said, really? So if it took an extra three days to get your car repaired, you wouldn't mind. Well, yes, I would. Okay. Well, what you have to understand is that just like an attorney, just like an accomplished surgeon, the technician who is proficient and has invested in education and, and let's not forget sweat and blood, okay, of, of figuring things out the hard way and, and busting your knuckles, so to speak. This guy, his only benefit in most situations is to benefit from being able to beat that book and bill more hours in less time. Now, should he also be paid more per hour? I, I certainly feel he should. But at the same time, the money has to come from somewhere, so we have to bill it. And again, I think the biggest mistake we have in business is people really feel that you take from one side. Everybody in every part of every transaction deserves to be protected and to come out better off for having been involved in any transaction. This belief is the reason I've been successful in this industry. I knew my job was to protect everybody in the transaction. You don't steal from the customer to pay the tech. You don't steal from the tech to make the shop more money. And I'm not here to steal from the shop to make the tech or the customer like me. I see my job when I was managing as very simple. Every side of the transaction, the customer, the shop, and the employees all get taken care of. Otherwise, it's not a good deal. You don't want to weaken one to strengthen the other. It just makes no sense. You can't sustain that. So how do you do that? That's what it comes down to. Is first, things have to change. They have to get better. That's true of everything we've talked about. Techs deserve to make more money, but you can't steal from the customer to do that. We have to create more opportunity by getting way more efficient. That, in a nutshell, is why we built this, my latest product, Shop 4D. We looked around. We saw inefficiency everywhere. Yeah. Just to inspect a car, to do the write-up, to advise a customer, the average shop is using a point-of-sale system to handle the invoice, a digital vehicle inspection program, which doesn't directly integrate with the point-of-sale, labor guides, multiple, each with their own login, each requiring you to transfer information back and forth, part sourcing that requires logging into multiple vendors or calling them, and an external program to send that invoice by text. Every single step in that, in every phase, it takes longer than it needs to. That's why you, you have to integrate. So we integrated everything into a single program and make it so the POS talks to the inspection, which talks to the labor guys, which talks to the part sourcing, puts everything at the technician's fingertips the minute he scans the in. And these techs are billing an average of two more hours a day. And what that does, obviously, is it, it means I can pay the techs more without taking for somebody else to make it happen. In addition to that, it's, it's using AI to, to, to manage the parts profitability, okay, and the other profitability in the, in the program. So, therefore, the shop's are increasing in their stability of, of parts management and, and profit management. So that means they're hitting their numbers. Their KPIs are getting nailed. And then the technician's billing more hours, so the shop's actually in a position to better pay the tech for those hours and the tech's achieving more hours. So suddenly the technicians are making more money. Every single tech in my shop has made over six figures for the last two years, and they build record hours each year and had record paychecks each year. And what we're seeing are some really happy techs that have no desire to leave this industry or go anywhere else. Why go learn something else or go sit in an office and, you know, feel dis you know, disconnected from what you grew up loving and doing if you can make all the money you want and have everything you need in the process. I love it. I, I, I think that is such a 
such a unique approach and something that our industry has needed for a long, long time. Now, do you see on top of that, when, when you talk through inefficiencies, where is, a, where is maybe a breakdown in terms of being able to explain to a customer, for example, the, the, the example that you used, right? Is there any, is there any concern over the, maybe the writer that's selling the work not getting that message across correctly, and then that that causes maybe one of the one of the parts of your triangle to fall out of balance. Sure, and I mean that that comes down to a, you know, I always say it. It's almost become like one of those stinking buzzword bingo games. You know, I hate using some of these words because people have heard them so many times from people who don't even know what they're talking about, <laughs> throwing the words around. But you know, our shops really, and and so many of the shops I work with has a real culture of, of learning and training. It's just part of what we do every day. You can't train a few times a year and expect that to stick. And I think that it's critical that whenever we talk to each other, not just customers, but to each other, and, and whether it's an employer talking to the employees or it's a manager talking to them, or the employees talking to each other, it's, it doesn't really matter at which level. We all have to talk about the things that are right and that matter. And so we have to speak in the right cadence and on the right subjects. Number one, you know, I look at diagnostic selling, as we mentioned, you know, you have to sell that open-ended. You have to teach people that there's a series of tests that, that my expert technician is going to have to execute in order to arrive at a diagnosis. It's not just one test. It's not just plugging in the computer. One of the biggest mistakes our industry makes is, is trying to make all that sound simple and easy to people because it's easier to say it that way. Mm. Oh, well, we're going to plug in the computer and see what's going on here. Bad idea. Okay. I see the same thing from, you know, even myself taking my vehicle in to the dealership. Sometimes I, I hear them, you know, take guesses over the phone as to what's wrong. Oh, well, it's probably this. We'll just, we'll plug it in and figure it out and let you know. And see, when you do that, you're devaluing the entire process and therefore making it much more difficult for the customer to look at the process and at what the technician's going through and want to pay for those steps. You know, pre-diagnosing, diagnosing over the counter, over the phone, big mistake. You know, um, not making it clear that there's a whole lot more to this than just plugging in some silly computer. Look, if I could just plug in a silly computer and diagnose the cars, we wouldn't have anything to talk about today because we wouldn't need technicians. We just need some monkeys that can hang parts. Isn't that true? Yes. A technician, a professional technician, is someone who can interpret data from multiple sources and then use logic, experience, and, and, and intelligence to to assess and compute that data better than a computer. I mean, it really, it, it, there are things, look, we develop AI. I work in some pretty high level development and programming with my teams. And I'm here to tell you that you can't do it without the technician. Yeah. Okay. We can go through and look at a lot of past instances. We can measure things that have been done, things that have been accomplished. But if you take the technician out of the equation, there's nothing to measure. And without that human who knows what they're doing, you are going to have a whole lot of unhappy customers and a whole lot of, you know, empty data that's not going to lead you to anything. So it starts out with first learning to value each other. You know, this whole mentality that people are just replaceable and they're just a number. And I was looking for an employee when I hired you and I'll find another one. That whole attitude is, is a cancer that's preventing all of us from succeeding at this. And it's creating a block that causes everyone to feel, you know, not to feel devalued, but also to feel resentful. And I think that's a big part of what's going on here. I watch it in both independence and dealership environments where the manager comes in, he cuts loose some of the good loyal employees, brings in his own group of people. They, do whatever they're going to do. They're gone in two years and the dealership's left cleaned out or the, or the repair shop is. And these kinds of mentalities, owners who look at employees like they're an inconvenience. This is a big mistake. It's a big mistake. Every 
the most important, I mean, we've got over, I'd say a million and a half, almost $2 million worth of equipment in my shop. But the most important and most valuable asset I have are my people. Mm. And that is not just words. That I care more about them. You can take all that equipment, you can take that building, you can take that location, and you can burn me out of it. But if I have my people, we're going to be fine. We'll go and set up shop somewhere else, and we'll make something happen, and it'll be still the best shop in the area. You take those people away, and I don't care what a nice building and tools I have, I'm going to be in, you know, I'm going to have to start over. It's going to take a long time to try to make something worthwhile out of that. And so, you know, all the great software and all the great ideas in the world aren't going to make up for the people. So the very first basis of all this is for us humans to, to, to stop and appreciate the fact that we have the opportunity to work with another professional human. And, and that's where it begins. The next place is to start valuing each other and each other's contributions. Learn a little more about what it takes to get from A to B. Don't just assume that it's simple or it's easy or anyone could do it. I, I, you know, I often find myself mentioning that to new service advisors and new counter people when we're training them. Is that hey, you know, you may think that guy's out there and he 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 he's you know it's easy for him, but why don't you sit down and tell me how you're going to get the bottom of this. Uh, secondary electrical issue and they'll just look at you like a deer in the headlights and it's like exactly there's a whole bunch of information and processes that that guy's invested a bunch of time in you need to make sure your customer understands those steps and that we're going to go through this process so that training starts right there with how we respect each other how do we view each other what do we understand about each other and each other's processes you know we we have to be more efficient but we also have to be more professional Service advisors have to get the education and the confidence to sell diagnostics and sell repairs. Another great example is a leak repair. You know, this is one everyone can relate to. If you go out and you tell somebody that we're going to solve your leak today for $300 or whatever the number is, <laughs> you're going to get bit. Yeah. Because once you seal that leak up and that car goes home and they've cleaned the garage floor and it's shiny enough to eat on, we all know what's going to happen next. Something else is going to leak, right? <laughs> so, so the smart advisor sells leaks in a stepwise process, same way we do diagnostics. It says, hey, you know, this right now we can see that this gasket has a leak. We're going to address that, okay? But the fact of the matter is, is that all the gaskets on this engine are pretty much the same age, and any one of them could also be weak. So once we get pressures back up and we achieve you know, the, the desired results, stop this leak. We may, in fact, may happen in a week, may happen in a year, but you're definitely, at some point or another, you're going to see another leak. And when you do, I don't want you to be upset or frustrated. Just bring it back and let's have a look at it. Because if it's under, if it's what we just fixed, that's going to be warranty and we're going to take care of it. But if it's one of those other gaskets, we'll get in there, we'll take a good close look, do an assessment, and let you know what we might be up against. It's a very simple process, but it's something to expect so you're not too frustrated. And when you advise it that way, the door's open, the customer understands, same way you do diagnostics. Now you haven't backed your tech into a corner where he's married to the darn thing and is expected to fix it for free. You shouldn't ever have a car come in and where you look at a technician and say, well, you know, this customer's not going to understand that. He's going to be pretty upset. Can you just take care of it for me? I'll make it up to you. But that happens every day, yes. doesn't it? Yes, in every shop. I, I mean, it. it is insane how often I hear that. And I was actually at a shop a few weeks back where uh, that exact scenario happened where uh, they were working on a big truck and uh, they had a brake line pop, right? And the it started a chain reaction of everything else. And that really hit home with me when you said that, where we're going to replace this one gasket, but the rest are the same age. And it's very, very possible that once we get everything back up to pressure, it's going to, it's going to do something else. And this shop that I was in had that exact same scenario. It, it, it uh, that really landed home with me. What a, what a great comment. Well, ask, ask yourself, wouldn't the technician, if you were a technician, wouldn't you feel, you know, really put upon and taken advantage of to yeah. be the one to burden that, you know? And I think, Shop owners are in a tough position too. So, you know, it's, it's not a one-sided problem. I mean, let's face it, auto repair is the only industry 
where the business owner or the business itself is expected to burden part of the cost of the customer's experience or choice to buy that vehicle. It breaks and then they bring it in and then you feel bad for them. They got to spend this much. Oh, isn't there something you can do? Well, let me see. And then you feel like you have to cut your price to keep. It's really pretty ugly. I mean, if you go to buy a bicycle from store XYZ and it has a problem later, they don't cut a price on some other purchase to make that up to you, do they? And I didn't even sell them the car and I'm supposed to cut the price, right? So the shop owners have have forever been expected somehow they should work on it, somehow they should discount, somehow, right? Well, too often that somehow is to pass that burden back to the tech, but that doesn't mean the shop owner is a bad person. It just means they don't understand how to protect the value of what's going on, or maybe they've got service riders or managers in between them that don't understand that. So as you hear what I'm saying, there's a whole lot to the solution that has to do with perception and training. And, and I think that, you know, it's not the whole answer, but it's a huge part of it. And that's what I mean when I say you can't just throw money at it and you're going to fix the problem because even if you pay your technicians a, a tremendous amount of money, if they're constantly made to feel secondary or that they can be, you know, they're just being bartered, you know, or taken advantage of really, you can't win the game sooner or later, the money won't be enough. So you got to fix the internals. Okay. And when you fix the internals and you address the efficiencies of your business and you really come in and understand how to, to integrate all those pieces, create that balance you start to value each other then what happens is is the profits go up the revenues go up and you want to hear something really crazy you end up with a better class of customer see I remember 20 years ago when I became angry at one of my employees for something they did inappropriately on a vehicle that caused the customer to come in and chew my rear end right I wasn't real happy about it. And I barked at him right with the customer at the counter. Now, you would think this customer, I thought, I was a young man then, I thought the customer stayed at the counter. They were kicked off. They were letting me have it. And I called the employee up, and I'm like, you need to come up here right now. This is going to get settled right this minute. And that customer was aghast. And they looked at me, and I said, I can't believe that you spoke to him that way. And I'm sitting here thinking, well, wait a minute, were you just screaming at me? Right. <laughs> but, but see, it doesn't matter, you know, what, what the other person did wrong. It was the fact that I was expected to be professional with the situation and not, you know, verbally abuse the poor employee. And the, and the customer was right. I shouldn't have, right? But at the same time, I learned something really, really, really important. The key here for anyone, even if they're angry, is that we manage things in a direction that's going to lead to a better result the next time. And again, that goes right back to the training. Had I looked at that customer and said, you know what, you're right, this is totally unacceptable. I'm pretty upset about it too, but I'm going to wait till I calm down. And then I'm going to get with this employee and I'm going to literally retrain them. I'm going to work through this with them. We're going to correct that inspection process and get our quality control under. And I hope he'll give me another opportunity to take care of you because I am going to correct this problem and I'm going to do it in a way that's permanent so that you and no one else ever has to deal with that kind of a problem again. This employee is a good person. They just made a mistake and I know I can correct the issue. Had I handled it like that, it would have been a done deal. Okay. Employee would have kept his self-respect. I would have kept my self-respect. Customer would have kept their respect for the for the company. But instead, my mouth got ahead of my my brain. Okay, and so I'm not trying to stand in front of everyone like I'm without sin here. Okay, I've made my mistakes in life. But what they should lead us to is a chance to understand how how does every part of what we're doing affect the whole. You know, again, I do believe technicians should be paid more, but for most shops. If they were to just raise their labor rate to $200 tomorrow, that's going to lead to a possibly a failure for the whole business. Yeah. You know, they can't just go from $100, $120 labor rate right to 200 so that they can pay the tech what they want. And quite frankly, 
if the if they just pile the money on top with no kind of performance attachment, okay, it could cause there to be less production in the business. So not with every tech, but with some people, you know, they need to make a certain amount of money. They make the money. They're happy. They're not going to push any harder. That brings another problem. You know, if I don't fix enough cars to pay the bills, then I got another issue there. Okay. And if I can't find enough techs, no matter what I pay, you see what I mean? Yeah. It's a chain effect. We're all kind of strapped in it together. Right. So that's where we come in and say, there has to be a different approach on more than one level. We have to control our profits better and improve those. We have to figure out how to properly present our services and get paid for each step of what our value technicians perform. And we need to make sure that technician's getting paid for each thing he's doing. And at the same time, if we do those things and make the shop more efficient, I mean, if you sit down and actually do the math, I can show you dozens and dozens of case histories of shops where just increasing those build hours by one or two hours per tech per day leads to a quarter to half a million dollars in additional revenue for that business. Wow. I'm talking about big, crazy money for small shops with four techs, five techs, max, three techs. It, it's crazy what kind of money that will produce for the business. So it does create the opportunity. Now, granted, there's costs associated with that money. It doesn't all go in the shop owner's pocket, okay? But, but as you know, but, but there, by increasing those revenues, if we're also tightening up our profit management, okay, it does give us the ability to better compensate our most value, valuable technicians and all of our technicians. And that's a big part of the mix. Our goal is to take away unnecessary steps. You know, in my shop, you never see, and in all my client shops, you'll never see a stack of estimates on the counter. You're not going to see a big stack of estimates waiting for, for uh, uh, to be built or to be priced or anything like that because the software we're using, the Shop40, automatically does all that for you. It builds the estimate. It prices everything out. You can source every vendor in literally a second and see all that pricing and make your decisions real quick and with one click order from multiples. And I'm not trying to sell the software, but I'm saying that these types of efficiencies are what give us the ability to say, hey, you know what? Not only do my techs deserve to make this kind of money, but we're gonna to see to it that they do. And, and we're gonna to see to it that everybody in the shop makes great money, you know? We're in the Denver metro area. And I can tell you that the cost of living in the Denver metro area is as high as it is in some coastal cities. It's very expensive. And I mean, an apartment, a one bedroom apartment in the neighborhood of our shop is going to cost you around 1800 bucks a month. And that's some big dough. You add to that, a, you want to go get a steak at the grocery store and it's going to cost you 14 or $15 a pound. I mean, it just starts to be a little ridiculous. Okay. So you can't have employees that are being paid minimum, you know, or, or small dollars and, and expect to have any kind of quality. So, Maybe we're blessed in our area a little bit because it forces you to realize that you can't get away with that. But the truth is every area has its, its challenges. And, and, and no matter where they live, the technicians have to not only have a livable wage, but they have to be able to be rewarded in a way. Who else, you know, who else has a job that gets harder every year? Yeah. That's a great point. Who else has a, a job that changes so much every year? I, I find it hard to imagine other than computer programmers. I mean, and, and they're luckily for them, you know, they don't have to be physical as well as mental and intellectual. A technician's in a unique, you know, situation, right? It's a, it, it's become a much better job in my opinion, in many ways than it was 20 years ago. But it's also not one iota less challenging. You make a really good point there in that not only is there the mental aspect and the critical thinking part, but the, the physical aspect. And, and I know for myself, there's days where I can do one without the other, but to have to put those together every single day, that, 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 that's a different level of respect. And I can hear it in your voice, right? And I think that's where 
maybe we we miss the mark with a lot of people is is we have you know we we like to say we care about techs but when it comes to improving their lives you've got good tangible stuff right you've got the stuff that can can make their lives a really really great place and and just a I don't know. I, I really applaud you for that. I think that is the neatest thing. Well, we've learned some important things. You know, one is thank you for that, by the way. But but it, one thing is, is uh, are you looking at the technician and their family as as part of your responsibility? Or are you just looking at them at how many hours they can produce? You know, both sides of that equation are important. But, you know, in my own business, we provide benefits not just for the technician, but but for their family. And we, we try to create a situation within which they have less to worry about outside of their work. You know what I mean? And, and we're very flexible with them. You know, if people need time off, man, you make sure they get their time off. If they need to go on a trip or go spend time with their wife, I expect my guys, I tell them when I hire them, I'm like, look, man, if you've got a kid in school and they've got a school play or an event coming up or an awards luncheon, if you don't go, I'm not going to respect you as much and neither is anyone else here. So we're going to cover you. We're going to be here for you. You go be a good dad, be a good part of your wife's life or your husband or whoever be, be involved and be present with them in their lives. Because if, if you aren't, then it's going to be harder for everyone around you to look up to you. And that's one of the things, you know, in our business, we try to be good community members and we try to be good, family people and, and, you know, whatever it is each person's into, everyone's different, you know, not everyone is going to have children or get married, but, but they're going to have something that matters to them. Some reason that they go work every day and put that money away. Most of them's not, most of them aren't just sitting at home taking treasure baths and sitting in <laughs> bathtubs full of gold coins, right? They have something that matters to them. And, and I think that's part of the equation as well. As business owners, we tend to think, Oh, I can't afford for those guys to, to take another day off or it's going to hurt me if they, you know, are gone for half a day. And I know even with my business partner, who's a really caring guy, he, you know, when I first met him years ago, he's a bit older than I am. And he, he, he had more of an old school view. And one day I just went to him and I said, look, man, you know, you got to make your pick. You, you, do you want crummy people who don't care about any of that stuff and don't have any values? Or do you want to pick people that, have things that matter to them in life that, that help them be a, a more healthy, well-rounded person. And he's like, well, of course that's what I want. I said, well, then we have to support that. Right. That's, that's part of the thing, you know, and I'm, I'm no cushion, you know, I'm not just some big fluffy person who's all, Oh, you know, <laughs> unicorns and, and uh, fluffy pillows for everybody. But at the same time, I am a person who realizes that if you ask me to come and work for you and you don't let me go spend time with my family, if you don't value the fact that I need to get out on the boat once in a while or that I need to go and work with the dog rescue or the, or the, or the, you know, Denver, Denver rescue mission was, was a big issue for me when I lived there. If I can't go volunteer and do the things I need to do once in a while and be a part of that world, this job is not going to work out for me. Yeah. You know, and and I think the employees deserve the same kind of respect, the same kind of opportunity and the same examples. You don't you don't they shouldn't have to beg for that. They shouldn't have to be uncomfortable. It should be a, a stated commitment from day one and one that we follow through on and encourage. And and I know it sounds, you know, probably different than, than a lot of people in our industry want to want to talk about. But it, it really is a whole issue. We have to look at these professionals for the whole human beings they are, and we have to support every part of their lives. And if we're not going to do that, maybe we don't deserve to have those kind of people in our shops. And I hate to say it that way. I don't mean to make any enemies here, but, but you get what you give, right? That's uh, what an incredible point. What an incredible point in, in talking about the quality of person you want in your shop. And and if those people have values and, and, you know, there are a lot of shops that want, they want that really professional, good person, yet they're not willing to make the sacrifices like you talked about. And, and I think that, you know, I, and I say this a lot too, but culture is a buzzword type of thing, but in a shop, that is such a big deal because if your lead tech is giving a young tech, uh, you know, a hard time about taking a vacation or, 
or leaving, which was much of my experience growing up in the industry in that you felt bad if you had to go to a doctor's appointment or get your hair cut or, you know, whatever it was. And granted, there were ways that you could make it more efficient and do it off hours. Uh, but there are some of that stuff you just can't do off hours, right? And so rather than having that lead tech give them a hard time for uh, for leaving, you've you've given that that lead tech that respect and that that level of uh, I don't know trust, right? You're you're trusting them to make good decisions on on that time, and and I don't think that happens in the majority of the shops out there, at least in my experience. Well, I, I sure get that, and I and I understand it, and I agree with you. And it's it comes down to a simple thing, you know, we it's short sightedness. You know, if all that matters to us is what you can do for me right now, what I can get out of you. I mean, it's really, think about, it starts with our own language. It starts with, with our own thinking, you know, and I don't want to sound like some pop psychologist, but the fact of the matter is, is that you have to sit down and really think about how you think about it. You know, do you want that guy? And this is something I teach my manager at my shop all the time. Don't hire anyone that you can't look at. And I mean, even for the entry level job, learning how to change oil, working in a lube bay or, or as a porter, do not hire anyone in this company that you don't look at and think, man, in five years, I want him on his own, working unsupervised, leading a department, being somewhere else in this company. Because when you start taking the long view with people, it changes your perspective. It changes what you're willing to do. It changes your investment in them. It changes your commitment to them. You know, I can't have you here in five years if I haven't created an opportunity for your life to improve across all aspects of it. And, and when I just think about today, well, I got this many cars today and I've got this many hours I need to produce today and here's my break even for today, uh, that's not going to get me anywhere, really. I mean, sure, today will be okay. You know, you won't starve today. But tomorrow you might be sitting around an empty shop. Man. And, and you, I mean, you hit it right on the head too with when you turn that into a transactional relationship and you wonder why nobody will stay with you, that is, that's the point, right? Like that, that is, that is a huge, huge issue in just viewing that as a transactional relationship rather than somebody that you want to grow through the company. And, and granted, I think a lot of shops will have their, their superstars who they really try to, to get up, but when you go to a hiring element and you tell your manager, don't hire somebody unless you think that we've got a way to grow them up through the business. I think you look at that tech in a different light, even from, even from the, the standpoint of them changing oil. Right. And, and we all do. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Oh, that's good stuff. <laughs> and it, you know, this is one of the things that I have a confession to make, you know, this is one of the reasons I, I actually have decided I really love your concept, your new business wrenchway. And yeah, when you first told me about it, and here's my confession, when you first told me about it, I was, I was really torn, you know, yes. half of me yes. was like, wow, that's really cool that you're, you're doing that, having people come in and show what they offer these techs, what kind of an environment they can expect to work in, you know, what kind of commitment the business is making to the employee. And I thought, that's really cool. You know, that fits with where I'm coming from. But then the other part of me was thinking, man, boy, that's like, that could be really tough on some of these shops, these smaller places and stuff that, that feel like they're going to have to compete for these techs. But you know what? I, if I sit down and think about it, it doesn't matter how big the shop is. It doesn't matter how many people you have. It matters, you know, whether you're taking the long view or the short view. And are we looking at it for what I can get out of it today? Or are we looking at it for what I can build? And every shop starts smaller than it ends up if they do it right. Right. And your opportunities are completely a sum of your people and the investment you make in them. There is nothing that's going to make your business better if your people don't want that business to be better. And the only way that they can really feel that and feel good about that, you know, think about it. If, if you have someone working in your shop in any position that doesn't feel hopeful about their future, doesn't feel like they're being fairly treated or given an opportunity to grow and expand, then how great is their work going to be on the regular? Can it stay that great? You know, it grinds on a person to feel hopeless or to feel stuck or dead end. And I think that's a lot of where people get to feel, you know, what's the upside for a technician who, you know, hasn't seen a pay raise in years, doesn't expect one to come and, and, and quite frankly, in, in an industry that's become more and more complicated, 
I mean, if you if you're using five or six different subscription products to get through a repair, you know that technician has to learn every one of those types of software. He has to learn how to how to find the information he needs from all these different places. It, it quite frankly pr creates a, a real obstacle in developing young techs. You know, I, I use the software not only to process tickets and find information, but I use it to develop people right out of my lead bay. My general manager is a great example. I've got technicians that we've developed from square one where they came to us changing oil, and now they're top diet guys and producing, you know, 70, 80, 100 hours a week in a, in a 40-hour work week. And, and that's because it's simple for them to come in, get everything they need at once. They don't have to learn five different things. They learn one thing. It's all right in front of them at their fingertips, and they can get busy doing what they want to do, which is solve problems, you know, diagnose vehicles and, and you know, repair and build things. And, you know, how many technicians do you think started out in the industry and said, boy, I really want to learn how to master six different kinds of software? <laughs> None. <laughs> exactly. They don't want to do that. That's not why they're in it. So the more of those kinds of... Of, of anchors you tie around their neck, the more you're getting in the way of why they're doing what they do. And I think, you know, to circle back around to the beginning of our conversation, we have a real problem in our society with the perspective, the perspective and the perception of what a technician is, what a repair shop is. I, I want to tell you a story that's 1 million percent true. We, in our own business, never say no to a school that asks for money or to do a car wash or anything they want. If they come to us and say, we need help with this or that, or we need support for this or that, it's always yes. Okay, we find a way to do it. But interestingly enough, career day was coming up a few years ago, and one of our local high schools, one of them who's been probably one of the greatest, benefit, greatest uh, recipients of our, our generosity, um, I actually reached out to the principal and said, hey, I'd really like an opportunity to come on career day and talk to some of these young freshmen and sophomores about their future, about their career, these, these high school kids. And I'd like them to know what an amazing career it is to be in automotive. I said, so many of these bright young minds are being guided into IT work and, and computer repair and stuff for a, what was back then a $40,000 a year job at best. Yeah. That's a little better now, but not much. And I said, you know, my technicians, they make great money. They have great opportunities. I'd just like an opportunity to talk to them about all the different kinds of careers and the, and the opportunities in our industry. And he ghosted me. He, he said, well, we'll get back with you on that. And then he would never return my calls or take my calls when I called. And, of course, we did not get invited. I actually had my business partner call him, whose kids graduated from that school, and mm -hmm. asked him for the opportunity. Nope, wouldn't even talk to him. And And – you know, think back. I remember when I was in junior high and high school, if a, if a kid didn't, wasn't great at math or English, or if he goofed off too much, or maybe he was, was too, much, too much horseplay, too much screwing around, yeah. that kid got sent to Votech. Oh, you'll just have to go be a mechanic. Now, first of all, that doesn't necessarily produce a very good mechanic. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and second of all, it creates this image of Votech and skilled tradespeople as somehow lesser. You know, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of Americans right now are sitting around with liberal arts degrees and making coffee at Starbucks or sitting on unemployment, but there's a good portion. There's a of them. lot. Yep. There's a good portion of them. And, and I have yet to meet a qualified technician who can't go anywhere he wants to make a living. So I, I'm here to, to say, you know, Mike Rowe, I, I love the guy. Yes, me too. He's a big proponent of skilled trades and, and what a great career one can find in that. But I, I find it very, uh, very disappointing that our schools somehow place, you know, a liberal arts degree and that kind of a, a career path as superior and somehow more admirable than someone who's helping keep the community and even that very teacher who might feel that way capable of getting to work every day. Mm. I find it 
disturbing. And I, and I, and the Hollywood thing is, is really frustrating. Um, I, I just think that, you know, for us as independents, it's especially challenging because we don't unify well. There's not a, a, a huge movement of independent, independently owned shops that, that work together to, to, uh, to have their voice heard. You know, there's lots of organizations and associations, but no, no offense to any of them. I don't mean to disrespect, but sure. their, their main focus doesn't seem to be how do we get more young people into this industry and how do we get them into these independent shops? I can't give the local tech school a new BMW to work on every year. I can't, I don't have that kind of revenue in my single location, but maybe if 20 of the shops in my area work together, we could do things like that. Maybe um, creating some scholarships and some other opportunities for young people and getting that out there could be helpful. But, but most of all, I think we have to stop settling for being positioned and postured as um, low lives. Well, that's interesting that you hit on that there too, uh, with, with the, with the scholarship thing. Right. And, and I remember going to school, I was one of those kids that you talked about, right. That, that was kind of a goof off and probably didn't take school as seriously as I should have. And also was a bad tech, <laughs> but I, I think this from a respectability level, one, it does start at the schools. And then two, if we're better able to support the schools in terms of of maybe a scholarship, right? And I love that example that you use there because that's, you know, when you look at it, how many, you know, one or two year scholarships are out there for a graduating uh, senior? You know, I don't know, in comparison to a four year school, there's not a ton of opportunity for for somebody that wants to get into the trades to do that. And and I hope that people take that seriously. And I love your I love your idea of getting shops to kind of buy into something together because that helps the whole, right? That helps the collective rather than uh, just that, that one shop to get that one person that one time. It really kind of puts a different perspective on it. And I think the other piece to add to, to what you said there, and one of the more frustrating things that I see with schools is just what you said. You're, you're, you're contributing to the school. You're trying to help them get better and yet they won't give you the time of day to come to a career fair. To me, that is just completely unacceptable and just really not a, that's not the responsibility of the school, right? If you've, if you've got somebody that is willing and able to sell the industry to young people, I, I think that's what career fairs are all about. And the fact that you're supporting them and they're not returning the favor is just, I, I mean, demoralizing on a whole bunch of levels. So hopefully Hopefully folks like you and I can help maybe change that narrative a little bit and, and try to try to help get that better perception or, or really have a paradigm shift amongst the industry because it's, it's sorely needed. And, and everything we talked about here today, and we're pushing up over the hour right now, so I apologize for that, uh, for taking your time past the hour, but I, I just genuinely love this conversation. I think there is so much more that you and I can dig into here. And, uh, and hopefully help change the industry for better because I, I just, I, I'm so inspired by what you're doing and, and by, by your initiatives to make the lives of techs better because that's, you know, at the core of it, that's what we've got to do, right? We've, we've got to make this better. And, and to somebody that's doing it and living it every day, I, I respect the hell out of it. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much for, for everything you do for the industry and, and, uh, I, I just, uh, I, I respect the heck out of you, David. Well, thank you very much, Jay. And I mean, you're, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't say more about anyone than I could about you and what I see you doing to help all aspects of the industry. I see you as a guy who you, you're not taking sides. You're not just self-promoting. You're not just out there for what you can take. You're putting your whole life, your whole effort and bringing an amazing team of quality people to the industry to help all of us and, and all the future of it. And it's going to be better for your efforts. And I just want you to know, I'm deeply grateful to be invited to, to work with you in any and every capacity. And I support you and your efforts. And I applaud you for, for being an example for 
how we can all work together and help each other. We're not enemies in this industry. We don't have to be. There's plenty of work for all of us. And more importantly, there's so much we can do if we unite and, and work together to for the future. So thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to share my thoughts today. Yes, that, that's extremely humbling. And and for those of you that that um, might want to know, or for those of the, the audience that might want to know how to reach out to you, David, what what uh, do you want to share uh, your contact information? We'll we'll put it on the uh, on the show notes and everything like that. But do you want a, a quick plug for uh, for your businesses and maybe how they get in touch with you? Well, thank you so much. You know, um, our our company is Shop 4D, and you can reach me at contact at shop4d.com. That goes straight to me. I read every single email. It sometimes takes a little time to get back. But, but I do respond personally. I don't have, uh, my assistants don't do that for me. And I just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always very excited and interested to, to hear from other professionals. And, and I'm always interested to, to get in and grab the rope and help pull this thing along. So, you know, please don't hesitate to reach out. And uh, just, uh, you know, everyone keep fighting the good fight because this really is an amazing industry. Not one that I realized I wanted to spend my life in, but once I got into it, I couldn't walk away and I, and I never will. So I, I really do uh, respect all my colleagues and, and I look forward to talking to more of you. Yes. Well, thank you for spending some time with us. Uh, for those of you that want to find the podcast, you can find it anywhere uh, that you get your podcast. So if you go to Spotify, iTunes, whatever it is, uh, for Beyond the Wrench, uh, go subscribe to us. Uh, we'd love to uh, to hear your insights into what we can do to help make the industry better. And, and David brought a lot of value here today. So thank you, David, and uh, have a good day.